the Cinema Silo. I'm Annie. I'm Jessie. And this is Frankie. Welcome back. I know it's been a little while, but we are back and bringing you episodes for 2022. If you remember, if we roll back the tape to a year ago when we started this podcast, the very first things we did was a series on each of our favorite movies we'd watched in the last year. Yeah. What were they? <laughs> so mine was <laughs> Portrait of Lady on Fire. That's right. And Mine was Palm Springs. Oh, boy. And, and mine was Come and See. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. So a wide range. Yeah. Big picks. Something for everybody last year. This year, we're doing the same thing. We're starting back with our favorite movie of the last year. Except this year, we all agreed on one movie. That's right. Rare. A miracle, really. This year, all three of us agreed that the best movie we saw Pig, the 2021 movie directed by Michael Sarnowski, starring Nicolas Cage as a truffle hunter in the Oregon wilderness whose pig is stolen from him and he must return to the city of Portland to track down and get his pig back. What'd they do? Nothing. Just a little misunderstanding we gotta get sorted out. They took my pig. What kind of pig? It's a truffle pig. Motherfucker. Okay, so today we're going to talk about pig. Why do we love pig so much? General feelings. What do we love about pig? That's the basic synopsis. You hear that, you're like, oh, Nicolas Cage, he's going to go on a revenge and he's going to get his pig back. That's really how it was told to me that this movie was going to be. Totally subverted my expectations. Well, because we watched it. We had like a mini Nick Cage marathon, right? Mm -hmm. So we did that because I wanted you to watch Mandy because I've been trying to get you both to watch Mandy. And I think that's a running thing on this pod. I've I've mentioned Mandy. Frankie always mentions Mandy. Yeah, I love Mandy. Um, So we started with Mandy, which I had heard was, I guess, spiritually connected to Pig, right? There's, I had heard that there was some connection in terms of themes. And honestly, I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. But I think that the connection made me go in with totally different expectations. You know, I thought this was going to be kind of a John Wick, like Nicolas Cage being Keanu. Mm-hmm. But, and it kind of is. I mean, there's some John Wick in the DNA of this film. Do you not agree? I mean, in the basic plot. But I think this is not an action film. Right? No, it this, subverts a lot of your right? expectations. I think that hearing that Nicolas Cage is going to be in a movie with this plot, you expect an action film, you expect more mm-hmm. of a genre film, and this totally you know, will subvert your expectations. It's it's a quiet film, it's contemplating, it's emotional, it's... In its approach to themes of grief, loss, vengeance, it's similar to Mandy or John Wick, but it takes a completely opposite approach yeah it's a very thoughtful movie it's not your rage cage exactly right Although he does have one moment <laughs> he gets one he rage gets one moment, moment. <laughs> in a parking lot <laughs> i do wish they'd given him a little bit more of that moment <laughs> 
But I feel like there's so many other Rage Cage movies you can go and see that seeing him in this role mm-hmm. and giving him that one moment reminds you of what he's usually like and then throws his performance in into that much more of a contrast of how he's so subdued in this role. Yeah. yeah. This reminds you that Nick Cage is actually a very good actor when he has good material to work with. Like, I mean, did you forget that? Yeah. Do we need to be reminded? Because I always think that Nick Cage is a good actor. I just think that he's hammy sometimes and over the top. But like, he was great in Mandy. Yeah, but I think a lot of people, you know, he's become a meme of himself a lot of the time. And people think, you know, he's going to say, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Right. Like, he's going to say... It's buried beneath the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, but he'll take ridiculous content and then he can take it up a notch, right? But he but takes like, it seriously. He takes all of these roles pretty seriously. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to see him do a role and, like, give a performance that is not so outrageous and ridiculous, even though he does have some silly lines. Yeah. I think what I liked about this movie is that it feels a little bit abstract and that the premise is a little bit strange and then you have nick cage who is a little bit strange and then (laughs) this journey which is a little bit strange yeah and maybe as a story feels a little like there are holes in it and you're like Mm -hmm. it's not a perfect story or a perfect script but it's very quiet subtle movie and there are some really moving pieces of dialogue. Mm -hmm. I think it's not a coincidence that this movie, similar to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, is a reinterpretation of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Yes. Which I cannot Um, wait to discuss. Agreed. Should we maybe rewind a bit and talk more about cast? Besides Nick Cage, obviously. So this movie was directed by Michael Sarnowski, and this is his first full-length feature film. Wow. That's... Remarkable. Where is he from? Is he American? Yeah, he's American. He went to Yale. He wrote the script, and the story credit goes to him and a woman named Vanessa Block. They met at Yale, and in an interview, Vanessa said the word Yale like a bajillion times, (laughs) like someone who went to Yale. Um, I think you're required to. Right, exactly. She was talking about how she thinks, like, maybe she lent, like, sort of a feminine feel to this film, and that's why it's not quite, like, quite like John Wick or quite like an action film thriller that you would expect because it does have a femininity, like, a Does softness. It? I don't know. I didn't really like that. We should deconstruct that a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't really like point. that um, description of femininity, mm-hmm. especially in a movie where I can't think of any, like, it certainly does not pass the Bechdel test. I know that there were female characters or women in the film who had names, but I don't know what they were because they were so insignificant to the plot. But her background is she was pre-med. She was into global health, and then she did a short film in 2015 called The Testimony, which is about restorative justice and sexual violence in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, bringing survivors justice. So that was her her first, like, foray into film. Mm -hmm. And then this is her second, apparently. And she's listed as a credited producer, Mm -hmm. Okay, which 
I did not know that much about, but now it's like explains a whole thing to me. <laughs> um, she has a producer's mark, which is the PGA after her mm-hmm. name in the credits, mm-hmm. which means that she... She's in the Producers Guild? No? It does not mean that she is in the Producers Guild. That does that producer's mark is given by the Producers Guild of America, but you do not need to be a member. And it just huh. certifies Strange. that you performed a major portion of the producing duties in that movie. So if it gets an Oscar, those are the people who go up on stage oh, to accept the Oscar. Okay. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Pig did not get any Oscar love, and that's fine because... I don't like the Oscars, but Pig did get a lot of recognition from other awards that are lesser known and not followed nationally. For example, Nick Cage was nominated for Best Actor in 11 different Film Critics Awards, and he won five of those 11, which is incredible. Very good ratio. That's a great, great rate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Vanessa Block and Michael Sarnowski won Best First Screenplay at the Independent Spirit Awards. That's great. I mean, who needs the Oscars? Especially this year when most of the coverage after the Oscars has absolutely nothing to do with any of the movies. Exactly. And I mean, that's why I watch it because I love live TV and I'm there for the drama. And I definitely got what I came for this year. Um, (laughs) But in terms of what is or is not a good movie, the Oscars are not the best barometer exactly. for that. Right? I think they're very much built up in our minds. And, but I, I had always considered them to be kind of the standard, the thing that everyone is striving for. But in reality, it's not necessarily the prestigious accolade, like really rewarding artistic talent that maybe we were told it was. And I think it's that much easier to see it <laughs> in a year especially like this where Nick, G- Nick Cage gives the performance he gives in Pig and receives absolutely nothing. And I think it was similar in the year with Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems where that was an incredible performance but people totally undersold him and there was no way the Academy was going to give him an Oscar nominee. Like really seriously consider anything from him because it's Adam Sandler. Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. So Sarnowski's next film that's in pre-production is The Quiet Place 2, 3. 3. <laughs> I never saw the second. Oh, I and saw the I second. Will not. I saw the second. It's Killian Murphy. I just don't know why a movie like that needs a sequel. I don't know. Did you feel like yeah. it was a necessary sequel, Ian? I didn't think so it was necessary, but I did watch it on a plane, so... So... No, it wasn't necessary. It's not necessary. <laughs> I would probably turn on the third Quiet Place on a plane as well. Wow. If it had someone like Killian Murphy in it. Let's see who's cast. I wish they had more creative sequel names these days. I feel like we've kind of dropped that. Uh, right? Right. It should be like The Quieter Place. The Quietest Place. We just watched <laughs> a sequel with the best sequel name ever. Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Yes. Yes. That, yes. You can't beat that. That's the it's best cheeky. sequel name. Yep. I miss those days. Now it's just they put a number at the end. Godfather 1, Godfather 2. Venom 2. Let There Be Carnage. carnage. That's a good one. That's good. See? Uh, So we have the the director-writer, Michael Zarnowski. We have the producer, Vanessa Block, who also helped with the script. Story. With story. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. 
and we have Nicolas Cage as our star, Robin Feld, he goes by Rob most of the movie, and then we have um, Alex Wolf? Yeah, Alex Wolf, one <laughs> yeah. of the Wolf brothers. I couldn't remember if it was Nat Wolf or Alex Wolf. And Alex Wolf, he was the one who was in Old. Yes, he okay. was in Old, and he was in Hereditary, the That's Ari right, Aster Hereditary. movie back in 2018 18 maybe and then old which also came out this year m night Shyamalan, we've talked about on the podcast. he had a big year nat wolf no this is alex wolf right <laughs> <laughs> so the two of them the reason i'm mixing them up they look super similar yeah. and they're both in movies and both on television and they both started out as the naked brothers band on nickelodeon so what has nat wolf been in was he the one who's in Stuck in Love? Yes, he was in Stuck in Love with, with Greg, Greg Kinnear. Kinnear and Kristen Bell. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wait, Kristen Bell? She's the one that Greg Kinnear's having the affair with. <gasps> She's the one he's Damn. stuck in. <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> yeah, so that's Nat Wolf. Um, but the two of them were the Naked Brothers Band. And they also did a movie together called Stella's Last Weekend, directed and written by their mother. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, which is about, like, two brothers and their dog is dying. And so they come oh. home to, like, put their dog down or something. I never saw it, but it's constantly recommended to me. The algorithm thinks I will love it. So. Has Nat Wolf been in anything significant recently? Like, what's, what's he up to these days? Because it seems like Alex Wolf has usurped him. Alex Wolf went independent, right? He by going with Ari Aster and going doing the A, the A twenty four route. Yeah. Like I think that that led him lent him some credibility, and mm-hmm. now he gets pig, and he's an old, right? He yeah, he's getting picked up for more of these kinds of roles, and I think he did a good job. He's uh, great, yeah, he's yeah, very good. And you know, this is a very small cast, right? It's Nicolas Cage, it's Alex Wolf, and then it's Adam Arkin, who is. Alan Arkin's son. Which blew my mind. We were watching, we were trying to figure out how we knew this guy, Adam Arkin. He's in stuff. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you what he's in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could tell you now because I've looked it up. (laughs) Like, I knew his name. And I'm like, oh, he's in tons of stuff. But I I can't think of what anything is. And now when I look at his filmography, I'm like, this seems incomplete. He's got to be in tons more things than (laughs) You know, I feel like I missed this train because I had no idea Alan Arkin even had a son, let alone... A son who was an active actor in Hollywood. I was shocked. He's in tons of TV stuff. He was in Eight Simple Rules, Law and Order, Boston Legal. Okay, everyone in the early 2000s was on all of those shows. Sons of Anarchy, Justified, Masters of Sex, How to Get Away with Murder. But I'm guessing he was in one or two episodes of these. Yeah, so he's super recognizable because you've just seen him everywhere. Which is why when he shows up, he plays, uh, so Alex Wolf plays Nicolas Cage's, like, truffle Tr- dealer? Truffle agent. Truffle agent? dealer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Nick Cage is a supplier, right? right? And then Alex Wolf buys the truffles off of him, drives them down to Portland, and sells them mm-hmm. to restaurants. Uh, turns out that Alex Wolf's father, played by Adam Arkin, also... He's got a stranglehold on... The truffle market (laughs) in Portland, Oregon. And so that's the core dynamic here between these three characters, and they're really the whole cast. There are a couple of good, like, bit characters that show up for a scene. Yeah. But those are the three Those are the three core characters. Um, Well, besides Pig. Pig is barely in the movie. Yeah, but her presence is felt. And also, she. She's she's the only... She's the Mandy of Pig. (laughs) 
I don't love actual pigs, like these big, huge pigs, mm-hmm. full-grown like a pig's pig. Yeah, like a pig. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this pig was beautiful. Beautiful pig. Beautiful pig. In real life, her name is Brandy. Brandy. She's Brandy, Brandy colored. Brandy and Mandy. Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah Brandy. Do, do they make any off-color jokes about him? Like, no. Sleeping with. No. Someone definitely does. Someone <laughs> definitely does. They're like. Why do you? What does he do with this pig? Yeah, like I, there has. I'm pretty sure that there was. We probably dismissed them. I because it it was so. It's a strange dynamic. Meaningless. Like when even when they said that, it was like no, this is a pure love between man and pig. pig. (laughs) Like (laughs) I had no doubts, no questions in my mind that it was love because the opening of the film is this really beautiful extended sequence of Nicolas Cage in the woods living in his little house with the pig. And how, and the sweet little life that the sweet little life the two of them have together that's totally self sufficient. He doesn't need anything, he doesn't go anywhere, he's just out in the wilderness with this I want fluffy that life. little pig. I want that life. I wanna be wearing long johns sleeping next to this giant pig, going out truffle hunting and doing that again the next day. He had like a beautiful setup actually for how small this little cabin is. Mm-hmm. Right? He had like everything he could need. He's like drying herbs. On the wall, right? He's got his pots and pans. Yeah, I just thought that seemed lovely. Yeah, the setup. Well, now new new goals that you didn't know were possible <laughs> because of this movie. Open Truffle your eyes. Hunter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the setup that that first scenes, those early scenes, set him up, and you kind of you think, oh, he's so lonely. Mm-hmm. He's out there by himself. He, you get hints that he's has his heart broken right that he's grieving something because he has a cassette that he can't really bring himself to listen to all the way through with a woman's handwriting on it and her voice and he can't really play the whole thing and so you know that there's a loss here that Mm -hmm. this isn't like the totally idyllic thing and alex wolf comes in and is just this really loud with the sports car like mm-hmm. just way too the ray bands yeah yeah and just polar opposite mm-hmm. lifestyles well so here's the thing though so i'm debating internally like how much of this plot do we give away because i feel like some of the joy of watching the movie is that you don't really know what's going on i agree so much of this is that you have to piece it together and watch it unfold didn't both of you read who read the wikipedia i felt like when we watched it there were multiple people in the room who'd already read the whole plot except for the final paragraph probably your boyfriend annie or it was you (laughs) it was definitely you and jay it was not me i almost i really thought it was frankie so i don't know why you're not owning up to it (laughs) because it wasn't me there's gonna be spoilers make some decisions i think we have to talk about it all right okay people look there's gonna be spoilers if you haven't seen the movie, go watch the movie. Go watch the movie. Pause this right now. Go watch the movie and come back. It's, it's not very long. It's only 92 minutes, which is another thing that I love about it, because I love a 90-minute movie. Yeah. Mm. Jesse falls asleep in the last <laughs> act of every other movie. No, watch. I just think, like... <laughs> we watched Thunderball. She was asleep in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how you could fall asleep during Thunderball. It's, so I don't love a 90-minute movie because I fall asleep. I just love... Like a 90-minute movie, I think it's an ideal movie length, and that 
Yeah, agreed. And that most stories can be told in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I so when I see it happen, agree. and it turns out to be a good movie, I get really excited. No, everything's mm-hmm. too bloated these days. TV. Why do we need 13 episodes of a show that should be two and a half hours long? Man, here's where I disagree. Why should we make a show? Like a show that should be a movie is now a show, and half of it's crap. But I disagree. <laughs> I don't think it's all crap. I like watching the long shows. I like the long movies. But I also appreciate a 90-minute movie. And I don't, I don't need to diss long movies to appreciate the short movie. I love long movies, too. I love long movies. But I think that there is something to be said about being succinct. It's like being a good writer. Sometimes less is more, right? Instead of bloating it out. Like, we talked about Mandy when we watched Mandy. I think Mandy's too long. I agree. If Mandy was 90 minutes, it would be a perfect movie. But it's way too long. Way too long. Right. Palm Springs was like 90 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Best movie of 2020. Pig, 92 minutes. Best movie of 2021. I just feel like if you're going to have a long movie, you got to make it worth it. You got to show that that extra time is necessary. Like, come and see. Long movie. But I think that the director and the writers use every minute of that. I think what's good about the length of Pig is that when it was over, I didn't think, oh, that dragged on for so long. Instead, I thought that was crisp. That was great. Yes, exactly. It didn't need any more to it. I mean, there were I could have enjoyed a few more scenes, but I didn't need that. And I, I loved what they did give us. Yeah. Agreed. It's not a movie that's rushed. It definitely takes time. And there are scenes that are much longer in reality than, than I remember them being. Mm-hmm. But somehow they don't all add up to a long-ass movie. Mm-hmm. There's only one thing that I would cut. It's the it Fight down. Club. It's the Fight Club. Yeah. That felt, especially by the end, when you realize that didn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, that was why they spend so much time on that. So what happens um, is that... I would cut the persimmon tree scene. Oh, I love that, though. I thought that was That beautiful. builds his interior... interior That builds his interior world. Right? So let's give people a sense of what you just said. So you just mentioned these two scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens uh, in Pig is that Nicolas Cage, Rob... Is his name Rob? His name is that's Robin right. Robin. 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 Yeah, that's right. And okay. Rob is robbed uh a bunch of people come into his house and they steal his beloved pig in the middle of the night and uh meth head tweakers yes that's the Mm -hmm. term that they use to describe these people (laughs) yeah they stole the pig yeah he then goes on the search to find his pig and bring her home and he has to go into portland and he enlists the help of his dealer agent truffle man alex wolf Who's quite a bit younger than him. I think he's supposed to be mid-20s. Mid-20s. Right? Yep. And he's trying to make his own name for himself in his business outside of his father's shop. And so Nicolas Cage goes into Portland, and he's directing Alex Wolf where to go. Alex Wolf is really embarrassed because Nicolas Cage is grimy. He's got these long hair. He's totally desocialized. Mm-hmm. And Alex Wolf is like, I know people around here, like my right. business. Like he's so clearly interested in his image, what he looks like. And now he's being seen with yeah. this wild person, this wild man who is lo- Nick Cage. looks like he does not smell very good. Right? Yeah. Like Nick Cage is also bleeding because he was beaten up by the pig nappers yeah. <laughs> and 
Yeah, no one gives him medical attention, so he's bleeding throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and it gets worse and worse and worse, like, as the journey goes on. Which is a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So, Nicolas Cage goes back to the, the city. He has to descend back into the underworld to retrieve his beloved. Right? He's Orpheus going back for Eurydice. Mm-hmm. And so he has his catabasis. And part of that, the descent to the underworld, Nicolas Cage encounters a few old friends. He goes to each of these people to say, where is my pig? I know you know where my pig is. I'm I know. looking for a truffle pig. I'm looking for a truffle pig. You heard of a truffle pig, right? And so <laughs> How do you both have Nicolas Cage impressions just ready to go? <laughs> How do you not? <laughs> Give us your... What's Give it you to us. Give us your no. Nicholas Cage. No. Say that you're looking for a truffle pig. <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> Never mind. I'm looking for a truffle pig. I don't... I, I, I don't understand. I just want to know about the pig. Alex Wolf is upset the whole time because he's embarrassed and he doesn't want this to affect his business. Right. Uh, he likes to be the face of the truffles and not let anyone know about Nicholas Cage. He's also worried that Nicolas Cage is losing it, and now he has this guy who could be dangerous, violent, right. but he has to take care of. Because it's clear that Nicolas Cage's character, Robin, is having a mental break, and this kid doesn't quite understand why. It's like, well, it's the pig, but we can get you a new pig. Right? What's the problem? Why are you behaving like this? Yeah. Alex Wolf also doesn't know the story of Nicolas Cage's life. Right. He does not know. Robin Feld. He does not know who Robin Feld was. All he knows is the Robin Feld of right now who lives alone in the woods with his pig. He doesn't know who Robin Feld was when Robin Feld lived in Portland and knew all of these people that they are going to interact with throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So he starts and he goes like deep to like the underbelly, the scary underworld of the Portland restaurant scene which is a fight club (laughs) with all these colors and shadows just the way that scene is shot it makes it feel so intense you can almost smell it like it's disgusting disgusting. yeah it feels completely unnecessary and makes no sense but yet it's where we start and Mm -hmm. it feels like this scene belongs in a Nicolas Cage movie yes actually you know now that I think about it maybe a part of it is to highlight that feeling that he's unstable and that Alex Wolf's character is still trying to figure out what's going on. So you have to start with this high stakes, confusing thing. And then eventually, with each person they meet and each encounter they have, Alex Wolf uncovers a little bit more of the story, right? And the viewer does too, right? Like with the persimmon tree scene, which we'll get to. I think it's also to show that, that Rob knows mm-hmm. a lot more than Amir thinks that he knows and he knows people and he knows stuff that Amir had no idea existed. Mm -hmm. Amir is Alex Wolf's character. Right. Mm -hmm. So Amir thinks he knows how little he really knows about this guy who he thought was this or how how little he actually knows about Portland and the restaurants in Portland. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Amir really thinks that he knows more than Rob. In this fight club scene, he figures out that Nicholas Cage is actually Robin Feld, one of the most famous chefs and a legendary chef from Portland who hasn't really been seen for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And really, you just have to accept that fact <laughs> and just move on. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of context or like deeper information is given 
Yeah. And that's fine. Just accept it. Go with it. Through this fight club, they find out some information where there's a particular restaurant called Eurydice that they need to go to the next day. And if they want to find out anything about a truffle pig. Oh, can we back up? One thing I thought was interesting, the gatekeeper to the fight club, his name is Edgar. Like, when he sees Rob, he knows who he is. And he says to him, I remember a time when your name meant something to people, Robin. But now, you have no value. You don't even exist anymore. You don't exist. I thought that was interesting, especially when you compare it to a scene that's about to happen at the restaurant. So after the fight club, Alex Wolf begrudgingly takes Nicolas Cage back to his apartment and we get a new chapter. Something that this film does is that they have chapters. They'll give you breaks where they say the name of a dish. It's like you're reading a menu and its courses of the menu are the chapters of this story. And so the next chapter is Nicolas Cage eating a breakfast prepared by Alex Wolf, and it's like his mom's French toast or something. And then they have a conversation where they seem to be sharing more information about each other, but they're still hiding a lot. You see their connections start to grow, but they're still not being totally honest with each other. Alex Wolf's character, Amir, reveals uh, just how fraught his relationship is with his own father who we haven't met yet and the poor relationship between his parents the one time he ever saw them be happy and it was when they went on a date night to a restaurant and had a great meal together but now his mom is dead because she killed herself that's what he says that's what he says so then later in the day they end up at the restaurant eurydice the two of them get a table this just crisp, white, gorgeous, airy, bright restaurant. And then you have this bloodied, dirty, just mangy looking, like just all that hair. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. And this very modern, clean, sterile <laughs> yes. restaurant setting. Yes. He asks to see the chef, right? They, they order some food. He just puts his finger in it. He has no <laughs> respect for this type of cooking, this food. And he asks for the chef to come out. And the chef comes out and he talks. He says, you know, do you have any truffles on the menu? He asks about the truffles. And the owner of the restaurant, this head chef, talks all about his great winter menu and like just perfect, great. This is a chef. Okay. This is a very self-important chef who thinks his restaurant's so great. And then you get the best scene of the movie, and that's the interaction between this chef, Derek, and Rob. Yeah, this was a scene that made me go, huh, this, is, this movie is different than what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is the gist of basically his monologue to the chef? So what happens is that It's revealed that this chef was a sous chef for Nicolas Cage back when Nicolas Cage was this great chef in Portland. Restaurant was called Hestia, and this man, as now named his restaurant Eurydice, these are both Greek 
like female Greek characters. The chef sits down when he rec- finally recognizes that this man is Robin Feld. And he's the first person in the movie to ask, yeah. do you need medical attention? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's shocked that Robin Feld even remembers who he is and that he remembers so many details about him. And Robin Feld says, yeah, I remember you. Like, you worked for me for two months and you always overcooked your pasta and that's why I fired you. He asks him these questions like, do you like, enjoy this restaurant? Like, what, what are you doing here? Are you happy with this? And the chef says, yeah, everyone loves it. He's like, yeah, but do you love cooking it? Because I remember you wanted to open a pub, like a classic English pub with a few rooms upstairs. And like, you were going to have the signature dish. Like, what is it? And the chef has been trying to convince him that he's so happy and he's so like, like, everyone's so interested in his restaurant. And then he finally breaks down and he's like, scotch egg, liver scotch egg (laughs) with a mustard curry. (laughs) (laughs) It was like this moment of he... He felt seen by Robert, and he was rem- seeing himself again. Yes, right. Yeah, he really is. And then, and you know, Rob then goes on to say, you know, none of this is real. And that's the monologue that yes. I think is the most memorable part of this movie. He says, none of this are, is real. The investors aren't real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Points to the food. This isn't real. Right. You're not real. Mm-hmm. None of this exists. And then I think the best line of the movie, where Nicolas Cage finally finishes his monologue and then leans back in his chair and he says, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. So that line, Nick Cage said in an interview with Eater when he read the script, that was the line that made him want to do the movie. Uh, Oh, hell yeah. Yes. And he also said that it was going to be cut, but he was like, no, you have to keep it in because... That's what got me to do the role. Yes. It is the best line. It's the, the best line of the yeah. movie. Yeah. And it really captures so the spirit. Goes, oh. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. And what's great is, you know, the camera and the scene switches back and forth between, yeah. you know, the head chef who starts off very defensive and trying to you know, defend his choices and, and stay like, like he's happy with what yeah. he's done. And then it cuts back after this line to his face. And then they both pick up their glasses of wine and cheers. And the chef just chugs. He just guzzles the entire glass. What is the concept here? Um, Well, uh, we're interested in taking local ingredients uh, native to this region and, and just deconstructing them, you know, making the the familiar feel foreign, thereby giving us uh, an even greater appreciation of food as a whole. This is the kind of cooking you like? It's cutting edge. It's very exciting. Exciting. I mean, everybody loves it. You like cooking it? Absolutely. Derek, what was it? You always used to talk about opening. Wasn't that a pub? Everyone loves it here. It's, this is a huge success. Why didn't you open your pub? I, 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 I don't know that I, I really wanted. Uh, I mean, that was such a long time ago. When I fired you, I asked you what you wanted to do. 
You said you have a few rooms upstairs. A real English pub. Did I say that? Yes. Nobody wants pubs around here. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible investment. What was going to be your signature dish? Liver scotch eggs with a honey curry mustard. <laughs> They're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real. You aren't real. <laughs> okay. Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you. Because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. my pig i think that actor who played the chef did a really good job of portraying like this physiological mm-hmm. response to this journey of recognizing his own compromise and inauthenticity mm-hmm. right like nicholas cage is fantastic he's the driver of this scene but it's also that reaction that back and forth that makes it work in the end and then mm-hmm. that the, the cheers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That little punchline. His name is David Nell. Mm-hmm. But I, he reminds me so much of, like, Jack McBrayer from... Really? Like, 30 Rock? Like, just the way that, like... I think that's the physiological, like, he's... Yeah. Like, yeah. everything is, like, on his face. Like, he's not hiding yeah. anything. It's not subtle. Mm-hmm. It's there mm-hmm. on his face. And it also feels very earnest and, like, open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He looks like... Sutton Foster's husband. No, oh, what? Ex-hus- ex-husband. <laughs> Annie. Sorry, Sutton Foster's ex-husband. He's a big Broadway star. He was on Smash on NBC, and he was in Younger and played that journalist who's always stealing food at parties. No, oh, I don't know. He, Annie, these are so niche. Just these references. like each other. They have the same face. Hmm. So it's in that scene, then the information they get from the chef is that person who has the truffle pig mm-hmm. it's amir's father oh, devastating yeah. and in the connection we've seen growing between Robinfeld and amir you have been picking up on the fact that amir's relationship with his father is not good and even in this restaurant scene nicholas cage says to him you know, your father doesn't seem very supportive. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> which I, I, we laughed out loud. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if everyone laughs out loud at that line, but I thought that was great. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> well, because the first line is, your dad seems terrible. And then, like, Amir tries to laugh it off. And then Nick Cage is like, no, well, he's not very supportive. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, just adds a whole level of devastation, though his interactions with the mirror mm-hmm. for his own character, for Robin's character. And I think 
that's why the persimmon tree moment also works for me because you think about the life that he would have led with his wife right Right. and that he does have this sort of fatherly instinct this familial instinct Mm -hmm. that he also demonstrates with the pig Mm -hmm. right that he didn't pursue because of his grief because of his withdrawing from society so when we learn that it was actually amir's father who kidnapped pig nicholas cage is very upset and has his rage cage moment in the parking lot and blames Amir because, you know, it kind of, it is Amir's fault because he was the one who told his father about how successful he was Mm -hmm. with his truffles. So Nicolas Cage, in his rage, cuts ties with Amir, goes off. They eventually come back together again and they hatch a plan to get the father to give Pig back. Part of this plan is that Nicolas Cage says, Amir, I need you to go and give me these things. It's clearly he's gathering ingredients to cook a meal. Nicolas Cage leaves, and he goes back to the house that he had when he lived in Portland, which is a house that he had shared with his wife, who we now realize that's the voice on the cassette tape that he couldn't bring himself to listen to all the way back in those early scenes at the start of the movie. So clearly his wife passed away, and in his grief, that's why he went off into the woods and gave up his big fancy restaurant life that he now believes is not real, that doesn't mean anything. He goes back to this house, he sits down on the porch, and there's a little boy who lives in the house, and this is one of Frankie's favorite scenes of the movie. So I'll let you describe it. Okay, so he goes back to his house and he interacts with this young boy who now lives there with his family, his parents. And Nicolas Cage asks him if the persimmon tree is still there. And the boy says, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. That's all, that's all I remember. So. so what was so affecting about that scene to you? I think the idea that you, you haven't seen him be really tender. Mm-hmm. Or actually sit with the things that he's lost. He's been propelled by the vengeance quest, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that scene in the restaurant. And then realizing that Amir's father is this is behind it and all this. That prompts him to reflect on what's actually driving him. Mm-hmm. To chase the pig. What actually drew him to, to, to isolate in the first place, right? Which is the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first moment we see him start to deal with his grief. Yeah. Instead of focusing on pig. Mm-hmm. Where's my trouble, pig? I think there's a quote about what the persimmon is that kind of reflects. Mm. Well, it's like a fruit that doesn't... You can't really eat it until it's totally ripe, but it almost looks rotten. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like right. a quote like that. So exactly. it's him. He's yeah. the persimmon. Yeah. yeah. Caked in blood. <laughs> right. But he's also so sweet with this kid, and the kid is... The kid needs to learn about stranger danger, but also <laughs> isn't afraid of him, which is also touching. And it, then, it reminds me of the scene later in the film when Nicolas Cage and Amir cook. The gentleness of their interactions and just how present they are. And there's nothing, neither one of them is trying to get anything from the other. They're just being in that moment, enjoying their time together, right? And it's similar. He has that moment with that little boy. He's not trying to get anything from this little boy. He's not trying to, like, get the house back. He's not trying to enter the house and walk through it and remember his... You know, it's just this very simple moment of engagement with another person. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas all the other scenes in the movie have more of a, I'm trying to get information from you. I'm trying to get something from you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those are the two scenes that really take a step away from the, the quest of the film. What's your name? I'm Rob. I used to live here. What happened to the persimmon tree? What's a persimmon? So while Nicolas Cage is doing that, we also see Alex Wolf. He's collecting wine. He, he's getting all these different ingredients for this meal. And the wine is at the cemetery where Nicolas Cage's wife is buried. And that's where you get confirmation of the dead wife who's been hanging over the whole film. And it clicks for the character if... You as an audience member had not figured that out already. (laughs) (laughs) They give it to you. (laughs) Not subtle. Um, But but still touching. It's still a good way to do it because the woman there tells you just how much Robin loved his wife. And you can see that their love was something that wasn't just that Nicolas Cage's character really experienced. It was even the people around them who saw just how much they loved each other. So that's like a beautiful element to it. And... Uh, Nicholas Cage even goes back to his old restaurant, uh, which is now really a bakery. And one of the women who worked with him there, he's going there to retrieve uh, bread. Salted baguette, which is weird. A but salted baguette. Yeah. Well, and then we, I don't know when we learned this, but his restaurant's name was Hestia, mm-hmm. which is the goddess of the hearth mm-hmm. in ancient Greek mythology. And so that's a really great name for a restaurant. Because mm-hmm. it's all about warmth and fire and like creation. And it's like, but it's also family, right? It's the home. And so it's, it's, it, it is really great, right? It's connected to fire and like home. And also a traditional sacrifice to Hestia is a pig. Oh, yep. look at that. Amazing. And it's said that she uses uh, like pig tallow to keep the light. Like the hearth on Mount Olympus going. Ah, Amazing. Love that. (laughs) So he's there. He reconnects with this person. uh, Very sad. He's still not, he's still not all the way through his grief. He can't even hug this woman back. Right. It's, it's still hard for him. Then he goes to Alex Wolf, Amir's dad's house. And he and Amir cook the meal together, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. Beautiful scene. Very yeah. warm. Yeah. Very it is. warm yeah. scene. And you're supposed to just ignore the fact that Amir's dad has these two people in his house that he doesn't like and doesn't want them there. And he just allows them to be in his kitchen and cook this dinner. You're just supposed to just let that happen. And that's fine. I can let it happen. Well, he likes his son. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, barely. Some barely. They don't, they don't the pig. Have, right. <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah. And also, it's a very big house. This is a very rich man. Yeah. It yeah. makes sense to me that he it would bother me. He, yeah. he would have some good distance from the kitchen. Um, so they make the meal. They sit down to the meal. It's very tense. Very tense. These three men sitting down for this very fancy meal. And a great performance. Adam Arkin is not in this very much, but I thought that he did a great job of him eating that meal and having the breakdown. 
I, I, it took me a while to realize what was going on. Mm-hmm. I realized it before he did. Where? But when you see it happening, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just slows down. <laughs> it's really good because you are, it's dawning on you. You are realizing yep. that the meal that Amir had told Robin about earlier, the one time he'd ever seen his parents happy, their perfect meal was pr- prepared by Robin at Hestia. Mm-hmm. And that he remembers every single meal he ever cooked and every person who ever ate that. So he knew exactly what meal to make. Which again calls back to the other conversations, the one with Edgar and the one with Derek about you do not exist. Like you like you don't exist, these people don't exist. But to Rob, like people existed, they still exist. He remembers them. Like he always saw them. Mm-hmm. They were so real to him, and they're still real. All of those memories, they're still so real to him. You said something earlier that maybe his career as a star, like, maybe wasn't real. Mm -hmm. I think it was real to him, and that's why he had to leave it. He didn't leave it to become more real. He left it because it it was real, and he always, like, felt it. But maybe, you know, in his grief, none of it felt real anymore, that he couldn't enjoy, like, people's joy in his food, that he had lost that in his grief, right? That by losing her, he lost so much. And so staying and being that celebrity or being, like, a well-known person in Portland meant nothing to him. Mm -hmm. Because the thing that was real, he, he didn't have it anymore. For me, one of the big takeaways from this film is just how intensely personal grief is. And that other people in his life grieved his wife, but he's the only one who feels what he feels, Mm -hmm. right? And that that's very real. And no one judges him. Like No one that knew him before judges him for the way that he's dealing with his grief, right? Like the woman Mm -hmm. in the the bakery, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and then that's what makes this meal uh, that Mm -hmm. he prepares for Amir's father so profound because... You have we have learned as an audience while Amir was going and getting the wine and all these other ingredients, he stopped by a, a hospice, and it's like a long term nursing care facility, right? And he visited his mother. So he had lied earlier; his mother had not killed herself. But the point is, is that the father refuses to take her off of life support, even though she's not really there anymore, and the son does not want him to be doing that. And the, but the father cannot let her go. Yeah. Also, Amir doesn't fully go into the room. He hangs out in the doorway mm-hmm. and then leaves. So he doesn't really actually see her or right. visit her. Yeah. He just speaks to her through the door. Mm-hmm. So th- all three of these men of this main cast, they're all dealing with loss in their own way. Right. And so the son and the father have these different ways. And this meal that they share together forces the father, the father to confront this true happy memory he has with his wife when she was like fully happy, fully alive, fully there. And they had this relationship. And it also provokes him to share the fate of Pig. Pig didn't make it past the first night. The people, the pig nappers killed Pig accidentally. This is devastating. And this is also a great, just gorgeous frame in the film of these three men all just 
devastated and sad, but this is the first time that we see Nicolas Cage just cry. And Robin just sits on the ground and he just wails. Mm -hmm. And he's so, just the sound of the grief, like, finally comes out. And you know it's not just about Pig. You know it's about his, his wife. It's about everything. So that's the climax of the film. The climax of the film is that moment is finally confirming Pig's fate. So what, what can Nicolas Cage do after that? He goes home. He goes home? He just goes home. He just goes home. And Alex Will takes him home. Don't. They go to a diner first. They yeah. stop at a diner. They go to a diner. And then... What are you thinking? I was thinking... If I never came looking for her... In my head... She'd still be alive. But she wouldn't be. No, she wouldn't. That right there, that is Orpheus figuring out. (laughs) He can't. Like, if he looks back, she's not there. She's already gone. She's already gone. And that's when he fully comes to terms with the loss of his wife. And so he's able to go back to his cabin Mm -hmm. and listen to the tape. And there's a beautiful, like, silent sequence where you see the full cabin and his whole, like, chef's kitchen. And then you hear the wife's voice. She sings an acoustic version of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire. And it is beautiful. I wept. Uh, We all Goddamn baby. I mean, she sings it beautifully, but I mostly just heard sniffling and like <laughs> we were very It's the perfect song choice for that. Yeah. It and is. it's also very short. And then he like looks up and like his face is like perfectly framed in this natural light coming down from the ceiling. And then <laughs> And then it goes to the credits. So that moment with the song in my head lasted very long time. It's actually very short and the majority of the song is played over the credits. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the perfect ending. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I think it ties all the themes together because Hestia... Fire. Fire. Yep. He's on fire. That's how she remembered him. And he's finally able to, like, look back and, like, listen and remember her because she's gone. I think Nicolas Cage is... But he portrays a character here so delicately. This is a character who feels very deeply. He's portrayed as feeling more deeply and displaying his emotions more clearly than a lot of, let's say, like, big male characters in movies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This, he he has that crying scene, but it's not just about crying, right? He has these quiet moments, and Nick Cage portrays his emotions and how he's processing things very clearly. And I haven't seen many male, especially older male characters who are like him. He's supposed to be gruff. He's supposed to be, you know, a hermit. He's Nicolas Cage. We have a certain idea of what Nicolas Cage is and how he behaves. But he's so quiet and intimate and dealing with these emotions. It's a wonderful character study. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting that there aren't really any female characters, but they hang over this film. I think this is a good example of how movies don't have to have, they, they don't have to pass, pass the Bechdel test, right? 
because I think that this movie is a deconstruction of masculinity, how men process emotions too. I mean, it's universal, these questions of grief and loss and how we deal with them, but specifically how these men are handling or not handling things in the absence of femininity or these female characters, right? I think that's intentional in this universe. The fact that it was like three characters, they're all men, mm-hmm. did not bother me whatsoever. Right. Right. Like that was not a problem for me. And the stories that they're telling, I mean, it's all about losing l- people you love. They happen to be women, but like this story, it's it's about their grief. Yeah. And it's not the... The revenge quest, you would think it would be this aggressive, hostile, high action intensity thing. But because this is such like an emotional and like internal journey for everyone. Yeah. Makes it such I, that's what makes it a remarkable film. That's yeah. why we all love so much of why we love it. Totally turns that on its head. Yes. Yeah, it's also not revenge because he ultimately does not take out revenge on the people who who did it. Exactly, like but he was, you would expect that from hearing right. the plot line. Yeah. Like, you get the That's log line, get the cast, yeah. Every all of this is a total deconstruction of everything you would expect from just looking at the bones. It's just like Derek the chef said, that you take local ingredients and then you deconstruct them to make the familiar foreign mm-hmm. so that yes. you fully mm-hmm. appreciate yes. food. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, though. <laughs> yeah. And and he also says, you know, when he talk when the chef, Derek, talks about why truffle hunting is so interesting, he's like, This is, you know, it's it's rooted in such an ancient history. It's something that's been done for so long, but we're bringing it to now or something. It's like that's a, also an undercurrent of everything they're doing here. It's like fathers and sons, grief and loss, like power plays and you know um like being a part of society or moving yourself like all of these things having the greek names and these myths underlying everything right taking these timeless kind of ancient stories and then dropping them into portland in 2019 oh we forgot the the one another twist which is that the pig really wasn't responsible for getting the truffles oh yeah in the end that's right yeah it was just his companion those early shots uh it's that he you think that it's the pig leading him through the woods but it's really he he's the truffle hunter yeah nicholas cage is a truffle hunter right but if he had told amir that then amir would not have helped him look for the pig who's just his pal Mm -hmm. who keeps him company yeah Yeah, that was a great twist it it makes the it just makes a hit a lot harder yeah Yeah. but it's just that was his friend his pig was his friend yeah they slept next to each other, <laughs> right? I love that, like, scene where the pig gets in her little bed. <laughs> yeah, her little snuffles. Yeah. Just like... <laughs> Good fine girl. We all agree that one of our favorite scenes is that restaurant scene. Yes. So... Derek has opened up this restaurant that's kind of like modern chic 
whatever words you want to use to describe it. Modern farm-to-table American <laughs> cuisine. <laughs> yeah. That looked like some gastro stuff he was doing. Yeah, it was like bubbles, yeah. 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 Uh, but really, he wanted to open an English-style pub. Right. What type of restaurant would you guys open? Annie. <laughs> I would do a sandwich shop because sandwiches are like 90-minute movies. They can be delicious. Just eat them with your hand. <laughs> Some of the best food I have, is, like food memories, are of like sandwiches that I've eaten. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I would do sandwiches. Sandwich shop for Jesse. I'd probably do um, like a like a vegetarian pub, but no meat substitutes, right? So no like fake meat things. Why? Because I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> like, I like, I, you know, I like the Beyond Impossible Burgers, those things. But I'd rather just have a bean burger. Why would I try to replace, like, it's not the same as meat. So I would try to invest more in in delicious dishes that don't have to rely on a sort of, like, fake meat substitute. Nice. Mm-hmm. What would you do, Annie? Soups. Soups. That's it. <laughs> Soups. <laughs> I'd, but you be, don't I'd like... be an add-on to like a bakery oh but, cute yeah okay i don't know that i'd want to be the person in charge of the you, whole we got bakery. sandwiches and soups you guys should open yeah, up we the... could yeah. <laughs> we could go into business honestly what i would really prefer is to open a bar okay not cheers not food yeah i would want to i would want a cheers bar <laughs> <laughs> i want like a pub that was also a bookshop Okay, now this is crazy. <laughs> um, okay, I have another thing. So this movie's set in Portland. Sure. And, you know, we kind of talked about how uh, Nicolas Cage's character is out in the wilderness and then he has to come into the city. And the majority of the film is actually in the city part of it. Um, and so I thought that maybe we could go around and talk about what, like, about Portland TV and movies. You can be like, what are, or we don't have to. Uh, I can't think of any. Portlandia. Portlandia. Oh, Portlandia. Sure. (laughs) I, Tanya. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Um, First Cow. Yeah, First Cow. Came out, which was another huge movie last year, Kelly Reichardt. Was that really last year? It was twenty. It was was end of 2019. No, it was 2020. It was 2020 into 2021 crazy um but that's like early that's a period piece like mm-hmm. early oregon like end of the oregon trail yeah. type stuff but it's also about a, sh- a chef he's cooking so it's about cooking and wilderness and it's set in the same place that was another big movie and and cow it's about cow huh it's 500 days of summer in portland that's la yeah. oh okay the goonies is in oregon goonies is in oregon it's in oregon uh Oh, isn't is or maybe it's Washington State is Rambo in Oregon? First Blood? I don't think so. It might be Washington State. I think it's Washington because I was thinking like Pacific Northwest. There yeah. are plenty of Washington movies, right? Yeah, like Twilight. Twilight, which works. <laughs> you have Ten Things I Hate About You in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Um, Sleepless in Seattle. Frasier. Frasier. Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, those are like tons of Seattle type yeah. stories. Um, things like that. Uh, and then First Cow had me thinking about, 
like when I thought about, oh, first cow's also in Oregon, pig is in Portland and Oregon. But this is kind of an interesting, like, movie for right now, pig. Thinking about, like, the outdoors, thinking about restaurants, like, things like that. Right. Um, and how, you know, during the last few years of the pandemic, you know, not many people have been able to go to restaurants and you know, there's more of a push for the life that you see kind of at the start of the movie that like, mm-hmm. I want to be disconnected from society. I need to find a way to disconnect. Yep. And exactly what Frankie was saying earlier, like, man, I wish I could just be a trouble hunter and like not it's have dream. to. Right. And I think that that's that there's kind of this feeling that's been going around in the last couple of years of people wanting more of that life that you see wanting to disengage from from society society yeah and so i think i definitely feel that yeah yeah. and so i think it's like interesting that this was shot in 2019 Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. or that they came up with it i'm pretty sure it was shot in 2019 it was shot in 2019 you know since then things have changed a lot but this kind of taps into a lot of the same themes so wanting to be self-sufficient it was very prescient right. for this to be mm-hmm. made in 2019 because I think that it speaks to a lot of things over the past couple of years and that, like, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that appreciation for the things that we do have because so yes. many people are suffering so much loss and that, you know, it's really hard to wrap your brain around how much has been lost in the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's what makes Pig incredible to be released right now and to speak to these themes in such a beautiful mm-hmm. respectful way yeah those are my big things oh yeah and also that it was shot in 2019 but then portland was like huge in the news yeah. in 2020 mm-hmm. with the autonomous zone yeah with the protests and you know with the portland wall of moms yeah right that it was this massive thing in 2020 all over the news that mm-hmm. even like over sure. in England, where I was, people were talking about Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Right? It was like a very, it was massive. Right? And for yeah. them to come in, do this story before all of that, it's interesting. Yeah, good timing. You don't really see a lot of stuff about Portland, like in TV sure. and movies. Yeah. And so to have this movie, and it just made me reflect more on mm-hmm. like, what that is because I really do just think of Portlandia. <laughs> Right. And that, like, Jess from New Girls, Zoe Deschanel's character, is from Portland, right? right. It's, like, this, like, quirky, weirdo-type people <laughs> is what it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of the cultural feeling of what Portland was. Sure. Yeah. But then to see, you know, the actual people who live in Portland and citizens of Portland and yeah. the Wall of Moms, like, people step up and, like, be so, like, vocal and, like, protest the people who actually live there versus how we think of Portland culturally mm-hmm. yep. is interesting. Great. And I think also speaks to subverting expectations in the same way that I would look at Nicolas Cage and kind of think, oh, well, he's just like quirky, weird meme person. But that in this film, it's like there's such a like an emotion and like a powerful, powerful performance here Mm -hmm. that you shouldn't just write off because it's Nicolas Cage. Exactly. Great. Love it. So watch Pig, people. Watch Pig. Watch Pig. It's streaming on Hulu. Yep. Are there other ways to watch it? I don't know. <laughs> don't think so. Go stream it on Hulu. Get a free trial if you need to. <laughs> um, you know, I just thought of hmm. Porkpheus. Oh my god. 
Thanks for joining us today in the Sinless Silo. <laughs> we that will not time, be returning. I'm sitting there. <laughs> All I can say is pork face, pork face, pork face. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking of. Oh, well, now that's all I'm going to think of, too. <laughs> all right. Should we do recommendations? Do you guys have recommendations? I'm just going to recommend Mandy, so no. <laughs> Not really. Okay. Uh, so Frankie's, Frankie's going to do Mandy, and... Uh... <laughs> right, moving Frankie, right along. Frankie, you're cut off. <laughs> I feel like I'm in Pitch Perfect, and they're like, you're cut off. You are cut off! Um, so my recommendation is a little bit, there's like connections. You got to follow the train of thought. Okay. Last year, Top Chef did Top Chef season in Portland. Oh, okay. Yeah. Relevant. That I see the relevance. I see the relevance. <laughs> And this year, recently, a couple weeks ago, the new season started, currently watching, set in Houston. And then, based on our discussion today about how I love a 90-minute movie, you have to watch the SNL skit, Short-Ass Movies, with (laughs) Gunna and Pete Davidson. Yes. It perfectly describes why a 90-minute movie is perfect. Like earlier, I was kind of trying to defend the long movies. But the problem was then Pete Davidson listed like four or five different short movies that I love. Like I find very easy to rewatch. Like they're just like incredibly – everything he listed, it was something that's like, yeah, that's super easy to rewatch. Whereas like last week when I went and saw – a restoration of the godfather part two in the theater it was like yeah there's probably a reason where even though this is one of my all-time favorite movies i've seen it fewer times than say little miss sunshine give me that short ass movie a 90 minute movie like liar liar evil dead a short ass movie a really short movie my recommendation is Related to the Top Chef recommendation, it's another food show. It's a British food show that hasn't really made the transition to the U.S., but I think should because I find it, like, endlessly enjoyable and fun. And it's about, uh, it's called The Hairy Bikers. And it's about two guys in England who are from, like, the north of England. One guy is named Dave, the other guy's name is Cy, and they ride around on their motorcycles, and then they get together, and they just cook together, and they clearly love traveling and hanging out with each other, they love where they're from, and they just love cooking for people, and um, they both got these big beards, and they're just kind of goofy and strange, bizarre people who have been given so many television shows and so many books, but they're seem to be very good cooks so where uh, can our american audience i mean i know we have a global presence but like where can (laughs) american audience watch that i would check them out on youtube uh for our american audience it's called two hairy guys the the hairy bikers they're the hairy (laughs) bikers and i feel like nick cage would enjoy them which is also an element of why i'm recommending them like, when I see them, it seems like 
I could easily picture Nicolas Cage sitting down and watching an episode of the Harry Bikers just like I do and relaxing and having a really good time. All right. <laughs> Not yeah. even the character in Pig. Also the character in Pig, but really Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh, fun fact about the Harry Bikers, one of their cookbooks, which over here are called cookery books, one of their cookery books is the thing that finally toppled Fifty Shades of Grey from the top of the bestseller list over here in the UK. (laughs) Fun fact. Fun fact. (laughs) It took the Harry Bikers to take that down. (laughs) So go support them. That's my recommendation. Fantastic. Good recommendations, everybody. We don't have a movie to say next time exactly what we're doing because this spring and summer we're going to come back to you with a different format than we've been doing last year. We're going to experiment a little with our format, which means you're going to have to bear with us. So there's like a lot to look forward to. A lot of fun coming your way, but it is going to be a little bit different. Our show notes will be on our website, cinemasilopod.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter, cinemasilopod. Email us at cinemasilopod at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time in the silo.